for AZPM. I'm Mark McLemore, and this is Arizona Spotlight. Coming up, meet award-winning director and Broadway performer Michael Barras, the director of Arizona Theatre Company's Barefoot in the Park. It's time for the return of the Arizona Insect Festival at the U of A. Go courtside with middle school students who are building skill and character as they learn to play wheelchair basketball. And a postcard from the Arizona Youth and Peace Conference, where empathy was on everyone's mind. Those stories are next on Arizona Spotlight. One of the top ten longest-running non-musicals in the history of Broadway, Neil Simon's newlywed comedy, Barefoot in the Park, has stood the test of time. Michael Barres has appeared as a performer more than 6,000 times across more than a dozen Broadway shows. He's making his Arizona Theatre Company debut as the director of a new production of Barefoot in the Park. Next, Michael Barres talks with Leah Britton about the show's long-lasting appeal. When I think of Barefoot in the Park, I kind of think of it as a little bit of a period piece. And I wanted to know a little bit about how you plan to modernize the story and the kind of approach you're taking to it. Well, I think that Neil Simon's work in general has this cross-generational appeal. And actually, I agree with you. I think it is a period piece. And I think, um, from my point of view, it was important to make it a period piece, to set it in the era in which it was written and takes place. That said, we live in a different world now. Um, and there, there are a few alterations that were made in the text. Um, very, very small, but things that I just felt were not essential to the story and that might be less appealing to a modern ear. Um, but in general, I think we I approach most period pieces with a really open heart because I think uh, if we recognize that something is of a time and of an era and we don't comment on it or apologize for it, but we are sensitive to who is digesting it, then I think you can strike that balance, which is where we've come from and also where we are at the same time. Great. And I think there's still so much of the story that stands today and there's a lot that young people can still resonate with it. What do you think makes people still want to see it in 2023? Well, I think, you know, Neil Simon wrote characters that were relatable, that they were sort of everyday people. Um, He didn't give them a lot of extremes. So there's automatically there's sort of an invitation. People see themselves represented and then he finds a way to put them in a circumstance that is heightened or that is funny or, I mean, this is probably his most romantic comedy, I think this one. So that holds up. Everybody likes a (laughs) rom-com. And also I think they are creatures of an era but they're also very, very human. They're super relatable. And there are different generations in the show. So there's young love, you know, and people that are at the beginning of all of the possibilities of life. Then there's the world-weary people who discover by the end of the play that maybe there is more life left in them than they realized. So I think watching older patrons find themselves represented in a way that is also a beginning for them is a wonderful thing. Is that something that drew you to direct this play? Yes. I I was lucky enough um, a few years ago to do a play on Broadway called, a musical on Broadway called Light in the Piazza. 
And that was three sets of couples. There was the young, young couple, then there was sort of the couple in the, in the middle of their marriage, and then there was the couple at the end of their marriage. And I loved that, that whoever you were, you could see yourselves represented wherever wherever you are in like the journey of love there was a version of you on that stage and i think barefoot in the park offers that as well it's it's definitely something that i have tried to cultivate in this production it's sweet it's a little salty it's very funny it's also um charming and it's not cynical and i think for me that's a huge piece of what drew me to the play is a lot of the comedy that I see now is cynical. And it can also be very funny, don't get me wrong. But I loved that this play was so generous. It's very open-hearted. You mentioned earlier that Simon does a great job of just creating those relatable characters. Establishing those characters for the stage and the casting, what were you keeping in mind in that process? I think if there's a hallmark to everything that I create as a director, it is that I'm always looking for the humanity underneath it. It can be farcical, it can be deeply dramatic, it can be a broad musical, it can be a lot of different things. But it was important for me in the casting process to make sure that the people that were going to be inhabiting this world were people that had the ability to live inside of that kind of stylized comedy, but also were willing to be authentic. They were willing to show themselves, to be transparent as people. And I am very, very proud to say that we have a dynamite cast and they all have that capacity. They, they know how to live in a stylized comedy, but they're also not afraid to be real people. And there are surprising moments of sincerity and humility that live inside of this, you know, silly, fun, delightful rom-com. What's something that you're taking away from this production as you're going through the processes of putting it on stage? I like being surprised. I, I have to prepare for what I think is going to happen. You know, I have a very clear point of view about what I want the production to look like or what the tonality of it will be. But then this thing happens where you step into a room with other creative artists and they bring something that I had never anticipated into the room. Everyone has their story. And for me, I think the great joy is making room for those individual stories so that it doesn't feel cookie cutter and that it lets them sort of live and breathe authentically. So I think the biggest surprise for me, the thing I'm taking away is how much more there is in this material than I even understood. And that's a credit to everyone who has helped uh, make this thing come to life, including the cast, but also the designers, our producers. Every time we get into a production meeting after a rehearsal, I'm just delighted at the degree to which everyone is invested in what we're making. And um, it really has been, uh, I'm, I'm learning every single time I direct something new. There's always more, more to learn, more to know, more to love. So I'm stepping away uh, renewed. I feel revitalized in a way. I, it makes me fall in love with the theater again. And with that element of surprise in mind, what's something you hope the audience takes away from the production that they might not expect going into it? Hmm. Well, I think it might be different for the, for different people, but uh, hope. I I think they may ex go expecting to have a good time or to laugh or to, you know, escape the heat. <laughs> <laughs> but but I think that I hope that they leave with 
the desire to talk about family and love and you know in a meaningful way to take a look at their own lives their little struggles their early lives things that they look forward to doing i think i hope it opens up a conversation for people with their nearest and dearest um sometimes theater can do that in a way that nothing else can it's a really magical thing where the lights come up at intermission and you suddenly remember you're sitting among 600 people and you completely forgot that they were there it's it's an incredible thing and I, I love that theater has a way of um, presenting surprises for people they, that, that you go expecting something. Hopefully they're getting what they expect as well. But then when they leave, um, it, it, it carries them forward in their lives. It's not just about seeing that play. It's about, you know, the next time you throw a dinner party and remembering something or having a story to tell or bringing your kids, you know, and share having a multi-generational event where you can share this thing that maybe young artists or young people have never been to a live theater performance. I, I hope it inspires people to bring their parents and their kids. When and how can our audience see Barefoot in the Park at Arizona Theater Company? Well, I know that you can go to the Arizona Theater Company website and you can read about the play. Um, there is a Spotify playlist to get you in the mood for the play. So if you could add any song, what would you add to that playlist? I did add some things Ooh, to that playlist. What did you add to it? <laughs> well, you know, they asked my opinion. I had a memory, one of my earliest, earliest memories when I was, a, I'm the youngest in my family, and I, I only listened to, like, older siblings and parents' music. I had no music of my own. <laughs> but I remember that my father loved the album um, Herb Alpert and the Tijuana Brass, there were a couple of songs on um, an album called Whipped Cream that I didn't even know what they were, and I was just scrolling through the music appropriate to the era, and I hit on a couple of those songs, like Spanish Flea, I think it's called. It made me remember the big glass lamp with the chain that hung in our living room when I was a little boy, and the, and the, the bubble seat stools in the kitchen that would leave an imprint on your legs when you stood up. And that's what I hope the Spotify list does. If you if you were alive to remember those things in the 60s, then that would be delightful. But if not, it sort of it stimulates your curiosity to try to get in the headspace of what it was like to live during that era. I think it helps set people up to walk into the play and feel like they just jump right in, right into the middle of the story. Leah Britton spoke with director Michael Barras. The Arizona Theater Company presents Barefoot in the Park at the Temple of Music and Art now through October 13th. It's unfair that insects always get such a bad rap when most of them are clean, industrious, and polite. Luckily, each year at the U of A, there's a gathering of human beings who understand and are ready to celebrate the many achievements of the most successful phylum on Earth, arthropods. Here is Todd Schlinke, an evolutionary biologist and an associate professor of entomology at the U of A, to tell us more. My name is Todd Schlinke. I'm an associate professor in the Department of Entomology at the University of Arizona. People have to learn to dislike insects because kids actually like insects quite a lot. That's and a good point. That's kind of part of the, the point of the Arizona Insect Festival that we're having that, you know, we bring lots of families with kids, and they get to learn about the insects and see other see adults holding them and and 
and realizing that most of them are actually pretty friendly and easy to work with. And there's so often these kids who have vinegaroons the size of their hands, you know, that they're holding up with glee. Yeah, some of those pictures, you know, I think can freak out the parents. Um, but once again, yeah, the, there's a lot of insects that are totally harmless to humans, and um, they're really interesting from a biological point of view. And it's, it's fun to get the kids and the, some of the adults excited as well. And we would suffer without them. Insects are so important for all aspects of our environment. Um, I mean, the, some of the roaches we have here today, the millipedes, um, they're sort of recyclers. They decompose the, the leaves and other rotting material that make dirt. There are insects that pollinate all of our crops, like honeybees. Um, you know, it's important to understand how insects work because they are so important to, to the natural world outside of our houses. I'm happy to say that many times on the show I had as a guest uh, Dr. Justin Schmidt, who was also known by his nickname, his uh, pen name of the King of Sting. I've described what Dr. Schmidt did so many times to the audience. Will you tell me what Dr. Schmidt did? Sure. Um, so yeah, Justin Schmidt was a um, colleague of mine and everyone else in the entomology department. He was known as the King of Sting, um, and he sort of became famous for, for writing a, a popular book about how much it hurts to be stung by different, different types of insects, and he came up with the Sting Pain Index, which gives insects a score of one to four based on how hurtful their stings are. <laughs> And he or bites or bites, and he used really funny language to explain how fruity, <laughs> electric, yes, fuzzy. It feels like you've dropped a hair dryer in the bathtub, something like that. <laughs> um, and anyway, the book is hilarious, and he was just a, not only was he funny and wrote a popular book, but um, he was also just knew a ton about insects and was a great colleague. And for our listeners who haven't heard, uh, towards the beginning of this year. Uh, Dr. Schmidt passed away. And I wonder if the Insect Festival, which was something he was such an enthusiastic supporter of for so long, he and his wife, Lee, would always make regular contributions. I just wonder how he might be remembered this year. At the Insect Festival, we, we have a bunch of booths. Uh, this year, we have about 27 booths where we have you know, different kinds of insects and different activities for people to do related to insects. And the booth that Justin Schmidt often ran was called Stings and Things. And it was just a booth that had lots of stingy things like ants and wasps and bees. And um, so we're, we're kind of reconstituting that booth this year in, in his honor. Um, we'll have lots of stingy things that um, he would have liked along with their, well, along with Justin's descriptions of the stings of those things. <laughs> so you can read his writing as you're looking at the insect. Also, uh, every year at the Insect Festival, we have a series of talks this year, there's several talks that are being given by people that knew Justin in some capacity and interacted with them at the science level. Because we don't want anyone to actually experience any stings or unfortunate encounters at the festival. We're there to celebrate the insects, not to declare a new phase of war with them. It's true. I mean, most, most of it is celebratory, but we also talk about mosquitoes and other insects that are problematic and how we deal with them. So a lot mm -hmm. of the things are fun things that you get to hold, but some, some of the things are, are like, okay, these are insects, and this is how we scientists at the university are, are trying to figure out how to de deal with them. What about the range of edible insect material that might be there for those who are adventurous in that way? Well, that's one of the, the fun booths we have at the Insect Fest, is the edible insects booth. And... Um, and yeah, we usually uh, have a chef that makes a few items that you can try. It'll probably be something with crickets. There'll probably be something with meal bugs. 
And uh, once again, the kids really love it. And maybe about half the adults, the cool adults, are the ones that, <laughs> that, that eat the insect food and uh, see what they think. Thanks to Todd Schlenke and Larry, the very quiet Madagascar hissing cockroach that I was holding throughout that interview. The Arizona Insect Festival is this Sunday from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. at the ENR2 building on the U of A campus. That's at 1064 East Lowell Street. Next, Paulo Rodriguez takes us to Gridley Middle School in Tucson, where they're collaborating with a group called Southern Arizona Adaptive Sports to change our understanding of ability in athletics. The first-of-its-kind program will equip local schools to include adaptive sports in their physical education plans. In this case, the sport is wheelchair basketball. Among the voices you'll hear is Gridley PE teacher and city council member Paul Cunningham. Coach Bearden is ready for our jump ball. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen in attendance, are you ready? Uh, let's get ready to rumble. Today was the final day of our uh, inclusion recreation program where able-bodied kids were exposed to wheelchair basketball. They got to play wheelchair basketball with uh, wheelchair athletes over the course of the week. They got to gain some perspective. They got to learn some life lessons. They were challenged with some tough questions like, hey, it's great that you played wheelchair basketball, but what if you couldn't get out of the chair? And for a middle schooler, that's a really introspective question. And I think it gives them a great impact and perspective on, on their growth. Teachers know that look. That look that a kid gets when they're really thinking about something and you've actually challenged their mind and got them to really acquire knowledge. And that's, when you see that look 50 times in one hour, that's the best feeling you can get in a teacher. And that's what we got this week, we got a lot of that. As a teacher, I couldn't even be prouder of our kids because in a lot of ways, this brought out the best in our students. And that's why I really enjoyed teaching this unit. Well, I think when you teach PE, it's not like when we were kids, hey, climb a rope and get an A. Uh, PE has changed. We want to get kids moving. We want to get them fitness-minded, but we also want them to be good people. There's a big citizenship and teamwork piece to physical education, and I think this, the learning objectives outlined in this lesson plan meet all those challenges. So my name is Mia Hansen, and I'm the executive director and one of the founders of Southern Arizona Adaptive Sports. We're also known as SAS. Today is the launch of a special new program where we are bringing adaptive sports and inclusive recreation into schools. Sports are for everybody, and wheelchair basketball, for example, or seated volleyball is just another sport, just another piece of equipment that you can use to play and to have fun. You know, activity and, and physical fitness is so important for all kids, but especially kids with physical disabilities. Some studies are showing that as many as 50 to 60 percent of kids with physical disabilities are just opting out of PE. 
in school because they, the teachers aren't able to accommodate them or they don't have the equipment. This new program is going to bring equipment. We're going to bring these wheelchairs to any school that wants them. We're going to teach the teachers how to teach the curriculum, and then we're going to let them go have fun. This young man who's about to fist bump me here, Esteban. How old are you, Esteban? I'm nine and I'm turning ten in less than one month. Hey, Esteban, what was it like for you today to be here showing off your wheelchair skills to all these kids? Honestly, I feel happy because I, some of them don't even know what it feels like. Right, and you do, right? Yeah. You were kind of able to school them up a little bit? Yeah. And you were sort of a superstar today? Yeah. Yeah, no kidding. And you got a very special gift. What did you get today? What are you sitting in? I'm sitting in a special gift from the Hartford people. The Hartford people, and they gave you a new sports wheelchair. Not a minute left. Part of the problem here is that there's a lot of barriers for kids like Estevan to get this kind of equipment. It's expensive. This chair he's sitting in is four to $5,000. So we were able to get this support from the Hartford, from Move United, which is our umbrella organization that we belong to. And, you know, someone like Estevan is now a superstar in front of thousands of kids, right? So this is really helping someone like Estevan to be more confident, to have that ability like all kids want, to just be a part of something, a part of something big and exciting. And I think that, to me, is what, for kids with disabilities, who unfortunately often are bullied or have stigma about their disability, they're in here just participating and actually excelling. One of our kids just shot a three-pointer and drained it. Step side, LeBron James. <laughs> Good stuff. 13, 12, 11. Dead ball, dead ball. 11 seconds, 11 seconds. I think all the kids who, who are out there who are going to have a chance to experience this are really going to get firsthand, you know, what the importance and the impact is of all inclusivity. Right, everybody's in. It doesn't matter what you look like, what you sound like, what clothes you're wearing, if you have a different body part missing or you're disabled, it doesn't matter. You're all important and everyone deserves a chance to play and to excel. All right, Gridley, how about a round of applause for the Junior Wildcats and our That feature by Paolo Rodriguez was also a part of AZPM's podcast, More Than a Game. You can find those episodes at azpm.org. Think for a moment about how our society would be different if we placed more value on empathy. That was one of the questions that hundreds of young people were discussing last week at the 12th Annual Youth and Peace Conference. Leah Britton and I were there, and we brought back this audio postcard. My name is Vanna Lewis. I'm a native Tucsonan from the Don Autumn Nation, Tucson's occupied autumn land, and I'm here at the Pima West Campus on a Friday coordinating a youth conference. We have youth coming from all different schools locally here in Tucson, Arizona, that came to a youth conference specifically engaged with mental health mental health care, mental health awareness, normalizing mental health. And this theme this year was empathy and reclaiming empathy and rehumanizing ourselves. And now our youth have been able to plan this conference for themselves. So they picked that for themselves as a theme to be. And last year they did it too. So they're really engaged with their mental health this year. And we just look forward to really having them 
continue to see what they want to do as their as their leadership grows through the program. We're a year-long program that gives them the tools year-long for them to build this conference from scratch with our support from the outside as adults and doing the logistics work. Kenneth Marcel Welch, or Kenny. I've been a part of the Youth and Peace Conference for several years in different capacities. I've served on the youth leadership team, um, the school outreach team this past year, and I'm currently the director of outreach for Higher Ground, which is a nonprofit here in Tucson. And community involvement is something I really, really are passionate about. So when, whenever the community is invited to events like this, we want to definitely make our presence known. Uh, <laughs> some are excited to be here. Some are not as excited to be here just because it was one of those things. But even those students who are somewhat dejected because they were brought here are still happy to be here because they're learning something. So when a student comes back and says thank you, you know that they, they took something away. Even though they were begrudgingly brought here, they still say thank you. My name is Camila Fonseca and I'm a senior at Ririco High School and I am the MC for today's um, conference. Well, one of the MCs. <laughs> I think it's really special because of all the all the diverse like talks and workshops that we go through. Well, our theme is empathy, so we talked a lot about mental health and destigmatizing mental health conditions. And so a lot of our workshops are on like um, self-care and like knowing your worth and stuff like that. Hello, my name is Sandra Hernandez. I'm a freshman at University of Arizona, and this is my third time attending one of this conference seeing all the youth together that we come from all different backgrounds for different cities even but we all here with one goal like as Camila said learning about how mental health and how empathy is important in our society so definitely the importance of that sense of community and how it makes our community stronger and ourselves stronger Hello, my name is Mayneem Juarez. I'm 15 and I'm a sophomore at Sunnyside High School. I attended the conference as a freshman, as an attendee, and it was such a great experience and it was like really helpful as like a freshman and being able to have access to such like resources that were meant for youth and that were meant to help us. And it felt like really, like they cared about us. So it was like, it was really different. Like I've never really felt that from like, you know something like this especially like with Vanna speaking like I could tell that they could just like they were really impacted by her like a lot of students came up to her after like asking to speak to her and all that and I hope that like every resource and everyone here like had some sort of impact like that. My name is Andrew Workington I'm a Pima student um, studying uh, vocal performance. I didn't even know about this until yesterday and it seemed like one of those like God directing me type of things. I ran into someone, she was hanging up a poster and said, teens and mental health just got my attention because I'm someone who has dealt a lot with mental struggles and I'm very like desirous of like helping young people overcome mental obstacles in their lives. Sometimes my most healing times, moments of communicating with God are like when I'm in my car by myself and I'm just like pouring out what I'm going through and it's like afterwards I feel better because it's like I've expressed myself I've expressed what I'm going through to someone who I I know truly loves me and cares about me but like I struggle sometimes to grasp like well how does that fit with like what I'm going through in life you know and so just having that that honest 
conversation um, just really helps me to process and, and, and be able to move forward in whatever I'm dealing with. Empathy. It's like something we've never been really taught, but we know it exists. We really don't know how to engage with it, but we can feel it. And we don't even like, sometimes I feel like it's so powerful in, in an unspoken language. So for us to really go about restoring empathy is powerful because really what it says is that I'm willing to listen to you. I'm willing to sit and hold space with your story. And it also is a place where we can understand how to self-care because empathy cares. So when you have empathy and self-compassion, you're able to do a lot more because it's sustainable energy versus I'm doing this out of a job. You know, empathy actually allows us to have an abundant well within us to care. So that empathy is really rehumanizes us. It takes time to say, hey, you're human. Slow down. What's going on? Let's talk. The youth just respond in a way where they say thank you for helping me understand that I'm worth it. And it, you know, I'm the, you know, biggest cheerleader for hashtag worthy movement, but it's it's more than it's just not me it's not one person when they say that they're getting it from themselves it's like a separate light bulb that goes on for themselves and when they say thank you for doing this thank you for helping me be aware of my mental health more thank you thank you thank you they're really saying i know my worth and i'm so grateful to know my worth have self-empathy and know how to give empathy those were just some of the participants at the 12th Annual Youth and Peace Conference held last Friday at Pima Community College. Thank you for listening to Arizona Spotlight. This show is a production of AZPM. The music is by Calexico. The production engineer is Jim Blackwood. The assistant producer is Leah Britton. I'm producer and host Mark McLemore. Arizona Public Media's original programming is made possible in part by the Community Service Grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.